Welcome back to the Goal Set Mindset Podcast. On today's episode, I sat down with Kristen Holmes to discuss circadian biology and its influence on human performance. Kristen is the Vice President of Performance at Whoop, a company devoted to unlocking human performance through optimizing sleep, recovery, and physiological strain. Kristen has been involved in athletics as an All-American field hockey player, United States national team member, and successful Ivy League coach. She also is a current PhD candidate and is closely studying the impact that circadian biology has on human function. Through her experiences, she has lots to share about the impact that sleep, daily sunlight, and even nutrition can have on mental and physical performance, not just for athletes, but for individuals of all performance levels. Kristen is somebody I look up to tremendously, and I appreciate all of the work that she is doing with Whoop and in the performance space. I am so grateful to share her insights with you here today, and I hope you all enjoy this episode with Kristen. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Today, I have a super special guest, Kristen Holmes. Kristen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So excited to dive in. Um, I'd love for us to just start with you telling us a little bit about yourself and your journey. Yeah, gosh. So I'm the vice president of performance science at, at Whoop, and I've been at Whoop now for six years. So it's it's been uh, quite a journey to, to see the company evolve from you know, just like 30 people to like over 700 folks. So we've really uh, grown substantially over these years. And, um, and I think, you know, what's exciting is I think we've developed a, a product that is, uh, is really transforming lives. You know, we're a 24 seven physiological monitoring device. You wear it, uh, you can wear it on all parts of, you know, different parts of your body, but mainly folks wear it on the wrist and it's just capturing uh, huge amounts of biometric data and then transforming those data into insights about how your body is, you know, responding and adapting to all the stressors that, uh, that we experience, um, over the course of the day and kind of coaching us, uh, with, with, with this biofeed, you know, with, with these, with these biometric data, you know, kind of synthesizing that and then coaching us to, to make better, um, you know, more healthy decisions. Um, so, my role at, at Whoop um, is uh, I oversee a lot of the research for our enterprise team. So basically, my function is to liaise with external research partners and do a lot of research in-house as well to really understand, you know, what behaviors really serve us, um, i.e. what behaviors are going to positively impact the biometrics that we track uh, versus maybe not. And, and then how can we productize those insights to really help people grasp onto the behaviors that actually will really um, enable them to, to live a ha- you know, ha- happier, healthier uh, life. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, all of, uh, you know, my followers know that I wear whoop and I'm a big fan of it. And I, I just love how much there is to learn through this experience of tracking your data. And I feel like every other month you guys are coming out with some kind of new feature or new information. And it's so amazing. And one thing that, you know, I'm very passionate about as a physical therapist and strength and conditioning coach is talking about these lifestyle factors, you Mm -hmm. know, these, these things that 
influence our performance as humans that we don't necessarily give a lot of credit to. Um, And I think that a big one is, of course, sleep, which Mm -hmm. is one of the the big keystones of WHOOP. Um, But most specifically, I really want to dive in today to the circadian rhythm. So not Mm -hmm. just talking about, you know, when we're asleep, but kind of this whole 24 hour clock that guides us through our lives. Um, So if we can get started a little bit with you just speaking about like, what is circadian rhythm for people who aren't aware and why should we care about it? Yeah. So just to to back up, you know, this is actually, you know, an area that I I spend a whole lot of time thinking about my, my PhD work is, is basically looking at the impact of circadian alignment. Um, or I guess the opposite of that is circadian uh, desynchronization, um, autonomic control, uh, and physiological feedback on measures of, uh, of resilience. So really trying to understand, you know, what behaviors uh, related to our circadian rhythm um, actually positively or negatively impact our physiological and psychological resilience. Um, so that's, this is an area that I'm, uh, very passionate about, um, because I do believe that, you know, regulating some of our behaviors and really creating this alignment is, is actually the path to, uh, to, to, to mental, uh, and physical resilience. So that's kind of why I think circadian rhythms matter and why we need to pay attention to them. They're basically, um, you know, uh, circadian rhythms essentially help control, um, the daily schedule for sleep and wakefulness. So most living things have one. Um, and it, they're, as I said, influenced by light and dark, um, and as well as other factors. And essentially what's happening is your brain is kind of receiving these signals based on, uh, your environment and, um, activates certain hormones, alerts your body temperature and regulates your metabolism and either are going to make you alert or draw you to sleep. Uh, and some folks, you know, who experience disruption to their circadian rhythm because of external factors um, or, or sleep disorders, um, you know, really uh, will, will experience, you know, the deleterious health effects. Um, so, you know, it's, it's definitely something we, sh- we need to pay attention to. And, and what's, for the most part, really exciting is that these things are free of cost. You know, it's really just about adopting behaviors that can create more alignment, less mismatch. Um, and as a result, you know, our system just will function, uh, you know, it's, it's like, we're, we're not working against, you know, the natural, uh, tendencies of our body. We're actually working with them. Yeah, I agree. I love that you mentioned that it's a, it's kind of a free thing, a free hack, if you will, to tap into. Um, I think nowadays in the performance health space, like everything is monetized and it's always about you know, the most expensive gym program or the most expensive food. And like, if we can just maximize on these fundamental human strategies, I think they'll go a long way. Um, So let's dive into a little bit too. Like you mentioned some of the things that influence circadian rhythm. I know this is a very complex uh, physiological process as well. So we can keep things relatively baseline, but what are you, in your opinion and in your, your research, um, what are the main factors that influence these sleep and wakefulness cycles? Yeah. Well, one of the behaviors that we see as being most predictive of physiological and psychological res- resilience is sleep consistency. So the degree to which you stabilize when you go to bed and when you wake up and that is, uh, whether or not you can you know, that behavior obviously is a choice for the most part. Um, but a lot of folks aren't able to fall asleep, uh, when they necessarily want to. And and a lot of that actually starts with, uh, their light viewing behavior in the morning. Um, so it's 
really important, I think, to understand the connection between uh, viewing light early in the morning within you know, 20 minutes to an hour of waking. We want to bathe ourselves in as much natural or artificial light as we possibly can to ensure that you know, all of the cells in our body um, understand exactly what needs to be happening. Because uh, once we kind of get that first pulse of, of light, we actually start to build our sleep pressure. So, um, you know, after a certain amount of time, you know, uh, of being awake, we're going to start to get pressure for sleep. If we don't view that pulse of light, our body is, is unsure, uh, exactly what to do. Um, so that's probably one of the first behavior and, and just understanding, you know, viewing that light in the morning is going to determine whether or not we're able to really optimize this behavior of sleep consistency. Um, and then the other, uh, kind of external factor that I think is, is really important is, is probably the timing of our meals. Um, that's another uh, you know, kind of cue that our, our body is going to, uh, kind of latch onto. So really trying to stabilize, uh, or make predictable, um, you know, when you're eating. And one of the things that we've seen in our data is that, you know, meals, uh, close to bedtime seem to disrupt sleep pretty significantly. So really thinking about, and I think this is a lot of the work that Sachin Panda has done, uh, who's a, a preeminent, Kind of circadian biologist, uh, and what he's seen in his um, in his research is that you know really picking kind of a feeding window and trying to stick to that uh, is 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 a really uh, powerful uh, kind of determiner for your body to uh, understand what's happening and and really helps with this kind of concept of alignment. Um, yeah, so there's a couple things. Exercise is another another cue that we can kind of latch onto, and again trying to you know, uh, make that as predictable as possible, um, is, is another way to kind of work with our, with our, with our system. Yeah, definitely. And I love that you guys use the term consistency because mm. I think one of the tricky things with sleep, with nutrition, any of these habits is that we look for like, what's the absolute best time of day to eat or to wake up or whatever. Yeah. Of course, there are probably certain windows that are optimal and maybe we can speak about that a little bit, but at the end of the day, our body likes to be in regular habits, right? In regular mm -hmm. cycles. So maybe for you, dinner at 6 p.m. is feasible and comfortable, but maybe for me, I can't eat until eight. But would you agree mm -hmm. that like, if I have to have a little bit of a later meal, let's say, or stay up a little bit later, at least sticking to that consistently can be beneficial in the long run? Yeah, and I think as it relates to kind of eating close to bedtime, um, I think just one consideration is that, uh, you know, digestion is, a is a parasympathetic activity. Um, and sleep is also a parasympathetic activity and your body, uh, will, uh, bias toward digestion. So just understand that when you're trying to digest food and you're also trying to sleep, you end up diverting, you know, some of the resources that would go toward regeneration and, and, you know, recuperation and really, you know, getting you into these deeper stages of sleep uh, will be kind of compromised if you're also at the same time having to digest a heavy meal. So ideally, you know, figure out a way to, you know, try to give yourself a couple hour buffer uh, before you intend to fall asleep um, with, with the food or maybe choose food that's, uh, you know, easier to digest, um, you know, less less effortful uh, on your, on your digestive system, um, to, to, to process and whatnot. So I, I guess something that's more bioavailable would be, would be ideal. Um, 
But yeah, that's, uh, I think a lot of folks don't kind of recognize that competition, you know, and, and, and when we, and I think a lot of people anecdotally will probably notice that, ah, you know, when I have a huge steak meal, for example, uh, my, I, I find myself, you know, having more fragmented sleep or waking up, you know, not quite as rested. And, and we definitely see this, you know, in our, in our data, um, you know, that folks tend to have, uh, you know, a, a lower recovery or, you know, a, a lower HRV um, after these bigger meals and they see that their sleep has been fragmented. So there's not a linear relationship between sleep and HRV necessarily, but um, they are, they are obviously related. Yeah. That's really interesting, especially because when we think of sleep, it's like, you don't really th- think about all the things that are happening during sleep. Like sleep isn't just a passive process. Our body needs yeah. resources and uses energy to create restorative sleep. Right. So yep, that's a, a good point of, yeah, you don't want to be taking away from sleep with like your body having to do other things. Yep. Um, now I want to go back to the morning sunlight a little bit, cause this is something that mm. anecdotally I have seen a tremendous impact on. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I do right now is wake up probably 15 to 20 minutes earlier than I have to, to make sure I can get outside in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I definitely see an impact on the amount of wakefulness that I experience. So I'd love for you to just yep. briefly dive into the science a little bit behind like what exactly is happening when we expose ourselves to sunlight in the morning yep. and how that creates sleep pressure ultimately in yep. like later on in the day. Yeah, it does. It does two things. So it triggers um, the time to release of kind of a, a healthy level of cortisol, which I, which I kind of mentioned. So um, this offers basically wakefulness and the ability to focus during the day. So I think that's the other really important piece is that we want to be alert during the day and in and, and this like pulse of light again, you know, two to 10 minutes, you know, in the morning, we want to try to get as much as possible. I think the actual amount is a hundred lux is, is what we're aiming to get, you know, within 20 minutes of, of waking, you know, I think you can go as long to an hour. Um, and, and prior to 10, AM. Um, I think there's, I think what's called kind of a circadian dead zone um, after, after 10 AM and IE the light, um, the solar angle of, of the light is, is such that it doesn't have the same sort of impact in terms of like what it's doing to our, our body. So uh, viewing light, I think, I think, I think it's probably 9 AM is, is optimal um, about a hundred thousand lux, which is equivalent to being probably five to 10 minutes in, you know, nice big sunlight. If it's a little overcast, you'll still get lots of really good, good sunlight. Um, and, and artificial light's good too, you know, so giving yourself lots of blue light, uh, don't wear blue light blocking glasses during the day. Again, like we want to be telling our brain that it's time to be, um, awake. Um, and it, and then the second thing is that it sets, um, which also just kind of sets this timer, um, for the onset of, of melatonin. Uh, and you know, that's the kind of the sleepiness hormone that I think most people have kind of heard of, um, which is, uh, inhibited by light. Um, and this, and these kind of, um, cells are, are really hard to activate early in the day and easy to activate late at night. So, um, anyway, that's kind of the, just a little bit of a framework, you know, if people can kind of think about those two things and how they interact, I think that's, that's ideal. Yeah, definitely. And, when it comes to viewing sunlight in the morning, you know, we know that one of the most important things when it comes to sleep is the amount of sleep that you're getting, you know, making mm-hmm. sure you're getting sufficient sleep. But for somebody who maybe in order to view that morning sunlight needs to wake up a little bit earlier, like mm-hmm. myself, do you yep. think it's advantageous to wake up 15, 20 minutes earlier to get that morning sunlight time as opposed to getting a little bit of extra sleep, but not being able to get outside? early in the day? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good question. Um, yeah, ideally you do both. Um, but I, I think if you can, it, you know, meeting your sleep need is is really important. Um, and we all have different, you know, sleep needs. Um, and, and that's, you know, one cool thing, you know, not to pitch whoop, but, um, you know, we have kind of this proprietary algorithm that basically tells you how much time you need to spend in bed in order to optimally regenerate. So, um, you know, and, and what we've seen is that that sleep need uh, metric isn't kind of, uh, or sleep need recommendation isn't just a random number generator because when you don't meet your sleep need, um, you accumulate what's called sleep debt. So basically what whoop says you need versus what you got is, is sleep debt. And we've seen sleep debt correlate to um, next day executive function and working memory. So, you know, the extent to which an individual accumulates. So if an individual is accumulating, you know, 45 minutes of, of sleep debt, they have a five to 10% decrease in next day mental, uh, mental control. And that's exponential. So, you know, the more, um, you know, the more uh, sleep debt they accumulate, you know, the, the less mental control that they have next day. So um, you can imagine if you're going, you know, a couple hours of sleep debt, you're taking a quite a significant knock on your executive function. So all that to say is that basically that sleep debt kind of um, insight basically validated this sleep need recommendation. So to answer the question, do I spend 50 more minutes in bed? I think the answer is, you know, if you can be consistent, um, you're waking up relatively refreshed without those 15 minutes. Um, I think viewing light is, is probably more important than those extra 15 minutes, I would say. Um, again, just because of its, uh, it, 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 you know, the, at a, a molecular level, like there's just a lot of like dynamic things happening um, when we get this pulse of light. So we want to just enable that as much as possible. But just remember too, like artificial light, you know, sun lamps, like the, those also are super, super effective. Um, you know, natural lights, I suppose is optimal, but um, artificial light is also good. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, looking, you know, as safely as possible, making sure that your retinas um, are, are, are getting exposed to that light because that basically is going to tell the super chiasmatic nucleus, which is that little, um, you know, a thing in the brain that's going to basically uh, communicate to all the cells in our body um, that it's time to be alert and time to be awake. Um, and this has huge impacts on, you know, our mood during the day as well. Uh, you know, dopamine levels, like all of it, you know, has like just this, this really profound effect. So yeah. Yeah. So 100%. And, you know, thank you so much. There's such a wealth of information, but it's one of those things I say to people too, of like any person who gets to watch the sunrise, whether they're like on vacation, or if you just have mm. to wake up early one morning and you get to see the sunrise, like I've never met a person who doesn't stop and look and is like, Wow. And it makes you feel good. Like there's yeah. like, there's a, there's a reason for that. There's a reason why we're all happier on a sunny day and light is just, it's so powerful in so many ways. And, um, I attribute a lot of what I've learned about it to you over at whoop and mm. the content that you put out, but let's dive into some of that artificial light because one barrier that a lot of us face, especially at certain times of the year is we have to wake up before the sun rises yeah. and it's dark, or we have to stay up and be working and doing things past uh, darkness. So can yep. you talk about some strategies that you would recommend for achieving that morning light without mm -hmm. the sun? Um, and then also at nighttime, some strategies to kind of wind down and um, yep. keep that circadian clock in alignment. Yep. Yeah. This is a good point. I, the inverse, you know, is all, is really important in that, you know, we, we want to reduce our exposure to light as, you know, we are 
you know, trying to feel more sleepy and yeah, so I can definitely go into that, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I work with a lot of frontline healthcare clinicians and, you know, they're sleeping during the day and, you know, uh, and I need to be awake at night. So they use these happy lamps. Um, they've got them in their car, um, you know, and, and, you know, as they're going to their shift, you know, they're just bathing themselves in, in, you know, as much light as possible. And obviously, you know, hospitals are super lit. So they're getting lots and lots of, of light. Um, but then on the way home, and, and I think if you think about this principally, you know, when you want to be alert and you want to be awake as much light as possible, when you want to be uh, sleepy, you want to block as much light as possible. So being able to do this safely when you're coming home from a shift uh, is obviously a huge consideration. Um, but generally speaking, you want to wear blue light blocking glasses. So you're, you know, not exposing yourself to, uh, to a lot of this light that again, is going to be telling your body that it's time to wake up because oftentimes folks coming home from a shift need to go right into bed. Um, and, and sleep. So uh, blocking light is, is becomes really important. And if we think about that principally, um, the same principle, you know, at night, if I'm awake during the day and wanting to sleep during the night, um, as I lead into, um, you know, after the sun sets, I, I really want to try to create as, as dim of an environment in my home as, as possible. Um, so I, I think that, you know, f- my house very, very dimly lit um, at night. And, and it's, you know, and we all kind of go to, go to bed at like nine um, uh, PM. So, but, um, but I, I think that's, that's the optimal, you know, and then a lot of folks can't do that for a whole host of reasons, but, but if you can, that's ideal. Um, if you do have to expose yourself to, um, you know, to light for whatever reason, uh, kind of, you know, into that, you know, 8 PM, 9 PM, 10 PM, you absolutely want to try to block the blue light as, as much as human, uh, humanly possible. Um, you know, any uh, light of any color, really, um, not just, not just blue light. Um, and, you know, just making sure it's kind of outside your visual field. A lot of the healthcare clinicians too, will you know, wear hats. Um, you know, so if you're, again, let's say you're, you know, you're, you're getting out of the hospital. It's, you know, if the sun's starting to come up, you know, you put a hat on, you put your blue light blocking glasses on, you kind of get in your car. Um, and again, you just try to avoid light as much as possible. And then as soon as you get home, you know, try to, uh, you know, try to get into bed, you know, eat your meal a couple hours prior to when do you intend to sleep? Um, you know, if it's 9am or, you know, 10, 10am, whatever it is. Um, yeah. So those are, those are some of the things And, and, you know, I kind of keep again, you know, light food, being, you know, two of those cues that our system is really going to latch onto. And then I think we can think about exercise too. Um, ideally, you probably don't want to go home and exercise, you know, cause you're going to be exposing yourself to light. Um, so upon waking, you know, for night shift folks, you know, when you wake up, uh, that would be a really good time to do, to do workout. Uh, if you're not kind of a morning type of person, um, doing it over your lunch break, you know, during the middle, what would be our middle of the night, night shift workers kind of middle of the day, um, you can do, uh, you know, a workout more like a, what would be the equivalent of like your noon. So maybe like midnight, one, 1 PM, but trying to avoid exercise prior to when you intend to sleep is generally, um, I think the consensus in the literature. Yeah. Very cool. Um, I listened to another podcast recently about productivity and how light can affect, you know, focus and things like that. Yep. I'll give a shout out to uh, the Huberman lab podcast, which oh. I know that you know him well also. And yeah, uh, yeah. so fascinating. And I actually do have a happy lamp and I got it a few months ago. Amazing. And when I first got it, my roommates were like, Julie, like, what is that? Like it, it, it gets brighter, like the sun. And I wake I know, up to like, I have birds. Mine here. <laughs> yeah, I wake up to like birds chirping. Like it's so like dramatic, but it's, I freaking no, love amazing. it. And yeah. in the morning when I'm waking up, you know, right now, luckily it's April as we're recording this, it's bright in the morning and I'm able to get mm-hmm. outside. But in the winter months, 
I cranked that thing as bright as it could go when I was waking up. And it's, it's hard because when you first open your eyes, the last thing you want is like bright light. It's like, yeah. oh, good, like I'm sleeping. Yeah. But once you <laughs> expose yourself to that for a few minutes, it's tremendous the impact that it has on, you know, feeling awake. Um, yeah. And then the other feature of mine, which I'm not sure if this is like common with the lamps, but it has like a night mode where when I'm winding down for bed, I can set it where it starts at a certain level of brightness and then it mm-hmm. slowly gets dimmer and dimmer. So I'll do that while I'm reading at night. Um, and Amazing. yeah, just kind of a cool way to maybe cue that a little bit. I'm a big sleep nerd, Chris, and I'm following in your footsteps. So, oh my gosh, I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> yeah. And on the topic of food, um, we spoke about food late at night, trying to have it a few hours before bed. Yep. Is there any impact that food has early in the day of like, is it advantageous to eat in the morning or does it not really have that reverse effect? Oh, man, this is uh, to, to quote Andrew Huberman, this is a barbed wire topic. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, I think a lot of conflicting literature and, and I, I think a lot of variability, uh, you know, across, you know, I think for what works for one person might not work for another person. So I, you know, I say all this with just like every caveat in place, but I, I think honestly, it's, it's what works for you. And I, and I think if you think about it in the context of what gives me the most, you know, energy, how do I feel the most alert, um, when I want to be alert, um, you know, am I sleepy when I want to feel sleepy? I mean, that is really, I think the guiding post in terms of, am I eating at the right times that for me, um, and, and I, you know, for me, like I love to, um, you know, I have some heavy cream and my coffee in the morning and I, I really don't want to eat until, uh, you know, 11 or 12, uh, maybe 1 PM. And then, um, and then I'll have like a nice big, you know, huge salad, lots of protein. Um, and then I, I usually work out fasted, which, you know, for females, some, a lot of folks say that's not good for, for females, but honestly, like that's, I feel really good, you know, and, and, um, and I have a lot of energy in my workout. So I think it's really thinking on an individual level. Okay. What, what do I feel like my body needs and trying to tap into that and, and be as connected as possible, you know, just eating foods, not a dietitian or nutritionist, but, you know, just, you just want to avoid processed foods as, as much as possible. And I, and a lot of people can't afford, um, to eat cleanly, but I, I think, I think uh, grocery stores are, I think, offering a lot more options and, and kind of, uh, you know, places like Aldi, you know, keeping costs down so po- folks can afford it uh, is, I, I think, hopefully our country goes in that direction because I, f- I feel like that is it's such a key, you know, we look at kind of health at scale and, you know, just all the issues, you know, related to, um, you know, metabolic disease in our country. I mean, I think uh, it's something like 70% of people are like pre-diabetic. So anyway, wow. figuring, figuring out, you know, what, what, uh, figuring this out, I think is really important for us as a country, but, um, but on an individual level, yeah, just trying to think, you know, just mind your energy levels, you know, are you, do you feel, are, you know, do you ever have that, uh, you know, are you, are you binging? Are you, you know, like if you're, you know, consuming a lot of food at, at once because you're so starved, like that might, that's probably not a, a great path either. So it's, it's just, I think recognizing, all right, do I have the energy when I want to have it? Do I feel alert when I want to be alert? Um, are, you know, do I have, are my, are my workouts good? You know, am I getting stronger? Um, and I get faster, you know, whatever the kind of performance variables, like you're interested in, are you kind of hitting those? So, um, unfortunately I think it's really an individualized uh, approach you know, as I mentioned, Sachin Panda has done a lot of work and I, and I think ideally, you know, you define a feeding window and, and, and in some ways I think his literature would suggest that it's almost less, 
about what you're eating and almost like the timing really matters. So I think, you know, nailing down the timing, um, you know, with the idea that you're giving yourself a a few hours before you go to bed, uh, you know, ending your last meal a few hours before you go to bed and then just kind of tweaking, all right, is it six hours? Is it an eight hour feeding window? Is it 10? Is it a 12? And then just trying to regulate your meals inside that window. Yeah, definitely. I love that. And it's true. Nutrition is another thing that I am so fascinated by and I love to dive into, but it's so complex for so many reasons, you know, physiologically, socioeconomically. Um, and, but I, but I love that you kept coming back to this point of like self-awareness, like Mm -hmm. understanding what makes you feel good. You know, there's a reason why there isn't one best diet out there because so many of us respond differently to different Mm -hmm. things. Right. So I encourage all of my friends and listeners and people in my community to do a little bit of journaling, do a little bit of self-reflection when it comes to everything, but especially food, because that's the only way you're going to find what works best for you. And um, it's interesting that you mentioned this eating window. And I like that you're talking about it more from this like circadian biology, physiological Mm -hmm. perspective, rather than we've heard of the eating window in terms of like weight loss, which can be very effective. Um, but especially for this whole idea of like creating consistency, um, I kind of thought of this analogy in my head as you were describing that of like our body likes to be prepared for things in the same way Mm -hmm. that we like to be prepared for things. Mm -hmm. So thinking about it as a student, right? Like if I know that I have a quiz every single Tuesday, I'm going to do well, I'm going to prepare, but if I'm getting like pop quizzes at all different times, <laughs> my mind probably isn't going to be as ready. Yeah. So and you're anxious. With your, yeah. And like with yeah. your body, it's like, if your body knows like, okay, breakfast is at seven, lunch is at 12, dinner's at six. And maybe there can be some fluctuations, but sure. in general, I, I could imagine that that just creates this sense of like alignment and continuity with how your body performs. Right. Yeah. I think that's beautifully said. And yeah, I think if, if that's what we can, if we can think about these kind of four behaviors as, and just think about, okay, how do I align this, um, in a way that is matching, you know, my states of alertness and states of calmness, you know, I think we put ourselves on a really good path and you mentioned weight loss, you know, I I think sleep consistency, uh, you know, I I think is, is, is again, because of, when we, when our body knows what to expect and we're, you know, stabilizing when we go to bed and when we wake up, like our hormone release next day is, and we also meeting sleep needs important, right? Like we, you know, we can't go to bed at midnight and wake up at 3am. Like we're just not going to be needing our sleep need unless we've got this polymorphism, you know, genetic mutation that we are short sleepers, but there's very, very few of those folks. So most people, again, you got to meet your sleep need, but if we could just make our sleep as consistent as possible, then, you know, our, our ghrelin and leptin, like the key hormones around hunger and satiety, um, you know, function better, right? When we're not getting the sleep we need or have very inconsistent sleep, you are going to uh, crave food that is not good for you. And, and in fact, research shows that you, you might take on as much as 400 more, as many as 400 more calories in a day when you're underslept. So, you know, when we talk about weight loss, we have to talk about sleep-wake time. And I think these other kind of principles around circadian alignment are absolutely a path to weight loss, if, if that's what focus, you know, folks are interested in. 100%. You are like so yeah. speaking my love language right now. And this is even something, <laughs> this is even something I, I'm trying to create more conversations with, with mm. patients in the physical therapy rehab space, because yeah. it's those same principles of like, when you're healing from an injury, 
your body needs resources. Your body mm-hmm. is going through all these physiological processes to get stronger, to create adaptation. Like, and we can't expect those things to happen without sleep being at least like somewhat ideal. Doesn't need to be perfect, but I think that's something that's so underspoken about, you know, and yeah. so many of us in physical therapy, we're dealing with patients in chronic pain and we try everything under the sun and they've been to multiple doctors and yep. nobody can find the magic pill for them or the magic technique. But I wonder how many people out there, if their sleep was more aligned or better, like yeah. how would that influence things? And I know that's a whole nother rabbit hole, but like sleep just, oh, it influences everything, doesn't I, it? It just, it does. It does. And, you know, I, I think, I, I think it's under leveraged, you know, and, and I, it, because it's, it's hard, you know, like it, it's, it, we've just live in a society where there's just a lot of like compelling things, you know, Netflix and all sorts of things that can keep us up, um, you know, beyond our natural biological, you know, uh, tendency for, for when, you know, when we want to be sleepy. And, and, and I think it's important to note that when we push past, you know, if I, if my natural biological tendency for, for sleep is around 10 PM and I push past that, my body then goes into sympathetic drive and I release epinephrine, cortisol, adrenaline, like all of these kind of, you know, uh, molecules that are uh, like telling me it's time to be awake. <laughs> um, so I think when people, when people are constantly pushing past this, their natural biological pressure for sleep, um, they end up in, I mean, that's like the path of burnout, you know, is, is really, so I, there's a lot of, I think, repercussions. Um, and, and, and again, you know, you end up, uh, you know, from a weight loss perspective, like there's no question. Like if you, if you want to lose weight, stabilize your sleep, there's no question that that is, is directly associated. So I, I think that's the place to start, you know, if, if you're interested in, in shedding body fat and, and adapting to training more functionally, you know, there's a, you know, short sleep is, is going to impact your, your capacity clearly next day, like is going to impact your energy level. So how hard you can work, um, but also your ability to adapt to that, to that stimulus as well. So yeah, I mean, sleep is really, it's, it's kind of at the foundation of everything. Yeah, for sure. And I want to dive into uh, sleep consistency, chat a little bit more about mm-hmm. that, because one question that I often kind of wrestle with a little bit, and I'm curious um, what the research has shown is in terms of consistently waking up around the same time. Um, a big habit for many of us is, you know, during the week, we have to wake up at a given time for work or for school mm-hmm. or whatever. And then on the weekends, we like to sleep in way past that mark. What are your thoughts on like, for somebody who is kind of having difficulty with sleep, not sleeping well, not getting good sleep? Do you think that waking up around the same time on the weekends is something that should be prioritized? even if it means sacrificing some sleep or is it more so like if somebody's sleeping in on the weekends, they're probably making up for sleep debt, you know? Yeah. So, so this is, this is a tough one. Um, like you can't make up for lost biological sleep. Um, that said, you can definitely kind of extend sleep leading into periods of time where you are going to experience short sleep um, and, and that will provide a bit of a buffer. So that's kind of what you're saying is that, you know, I'm going to have, I'm going to experience short, inconsistent sleep uh, five days of the week. And then on the weekend, you know, I'm going to extend my sleep. Um, and then, you know, then basically that next week I've kind of created this little bit of a buffer. Um, so yes, I think that 
you can do that. It's obviously, it's very suboptimal. <laughs> Ideally, you try to limit the variability on either end by 45 minutes. So try to stay within a 45 minute window. This is we see, you know, in our data, if you can stay within that 45 minute window on the front end and the back end, um, then for the most part, uh, you know, you end up being in pretty, in pretty good shape in terms of just recovery metrics and, um, and next day sleep patterns. And, um, so that, that would be ideal. And, and I think if people can think about it, like, all right, I've got, you know, 30 ish days in the, in the, in the, in the, in the month. And, and like you schedule, you know, lunch with your friend and, you know, you've got a wedding and you've got all these kind of life things. Like if you can just commit to like, all right, 23 days of the month, I'm going to go to bed and wake up at consistent times. Like we need to start thinking about it like that. Cause to your point, Julie, you know, it's, it's, you're not going to be perfect and you don't need to be perfect, but if we can be on average, pretty decent, we set ourselves up to kind of create less desynchronization, more alignment. And as a result, have all these incredible downstream effects on just our overall health, mental and physical and emotional well-being. So, um, you know, we want to try to keep that variability as limited as possible. You know, a lot of those sleep extension, if we're spending 10, 11 hours in bed on a lot of it, honestly ends up being junk sleep, i.e. that we're, we're, we're not actually in deeper stages of sleep. Um, and we're actually probably not going to wake up as refreshed. So I would say prioritize the morning light, you know, try to, you know, limit the variability during the week as, as much as possible. Um, try to avoid, you know, 10 hour, 11 hour sleep sessions. Generally speaking, those aren't going to provide a whole lot of value. Um, and, you know, and monitoring and tracking, I think obviously can really help. Yeah. Like that, dial all that in. Yeah. And like you said, it's, it's not about perfection, but more so about no. consistency. And yeah. like, I like that you said like 23 days of the month, 20 days of the month, yeah. like set a little bit of a goal for yourself. That's going to be achievable because we yeah. also know that like social interaction and doing fun things is really important for your physiological well-being. So like, yes, we want you. And like, I say to myself, sure. you know, I'm, I'm such a big, um, nerd personally about my sleep. And I love when things are in alignment, but like, I love to go out until 1am with my friends and I love to totally. do these things that are fun. And, but on the days, on the nights that it, that you can control it, that you can go to bed earlier, like take advantage of that and capitalize yep. on it. Right. Yeah. And I imagine for a lot of people, a lot of us struggle when Monday rolls around and we wake yeah. up and everybody at work is like, Oh, it's a Monday. It's a Monday. Yeah. I have found that since I have tapped into that sleep consistency more, which meant that on Saturday morning after going out, if mm-hmm. I naturally woke up at 8am and mm-hmm. I tried to fall back asleep and I couldn't, I'm going to get my ass out of bed and start moving yeah. because that's yeah. my body saying like, Hey, Julie, it's time to wake up. Like, yep. and staying in tune with that definitely helped me float into the following week a little more smoothly. So yep. is that something that, you know, you would recommend like for somebody who gets frustrated when mm-hmm. they wake up on Saturday morning early and they're yeah. like, I can never sleep in. Is yeah, that actually just, kind of like a good sign? I, I think it is a good sign. Yeah. And I would just wake up, <laughs> um, you know? Uh, yeah, absolutely. When you, when you wake up, like when you are naturally awake, like just go ahead and wake up. No question. Um, I mean, the other like crushing uh, kind of external factor to our circadian rhythms is just alcohol and caffeine, you know, yeah, these can be two yeah. things that can really throw us off. So just being super mindful of the timing of those and the frequency clearly and, um, you know, cause that, that obviously is going to complicate everything, but I'd be remiss not to, not to throw those in. 
Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, and there are recommendations for that as well. And um, yeah. Whoop has been super eye-opening for me yeah. with those metrics, most specifically alcohol. And it's funny because when it comes to alcohol, it doesn't necessarily take as many drinks as it takes to like get you to feel intoxicated as yeah. it does to mess up your sleep. So what I mean by that is like, if I'm having like three glasses of wine over the course of a few hours, I'm not really going to feel like drunk. I mean, I'll be a little yeah. buzzed not to talk about yeah. my drinking tendencies, yeah, here, yeah. <laughs> but, but the next day, like it's enough to totally kill my REM, yeah. crush my recovery. And it, so it's one of those things you yeah, have, like, just understand that it, it is going to have an impact and yeah, it's not, a cost. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but Kristen, as we wrap things up here, I mean, I yeah. feel like we can go on forever. I want to just jump back to talking about optimal performance, um, specifically like for exercise or even for mental performance, we spoke about how like exercise isn't really something that you want to do too late in the day. Um, and even for individuals who, you know, what human performance really means to them isn't so much a physical feat, but being productive, being like happy and, Mm -hmm. um, aware during the day, how would you recommend, or is there a recommendation for structuring your day in terms of like, where should the most demanding tasks, whether it be physical or mental lie, and then like kind of how to structure it to perform optimally, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I, you know, uh, there, there's going to be obviously individual variation here, but um, I think generally speaking, we're probably most uh, primed cognitively in the morning. Um, and, and I think, again, you don't want to, you want to try to make sure you're not uh, kind of fighting that, like from a fueling standpoint, you want to take on food that isn't going to compete with that. So, um, you you know, I, I'm a huge believer that, you know, you fuel, uh, based on like your activity requirement. So for example, if you're, uh, in the morning, if you naturally feel alert and you want to really maximize that alertness, you want to take on maybe some fat. Um, but, but actually, you know, limiting, you know, your food intake is probably important, maybe protein, fat, but you don't want to take on a lot of carbohydrates that might make you feel a little, you know, sleepy. Um, So I think thinking about like, all right, what are my activity requirements and ensure and making sure that my fueling is kind of helping facilitate that I think is an important kind of connection that people need to start to make. Uh, But generally speaking, cognitively, we're going to be pretty alert in the morning. We're going to have a natural dip, you know, circadian rhythm. We have this natural kind of dip uh, around the siesta time, you know, after lunch. Um, But I think that's also a good indication. You know, I I tend, I don't really feel sleepy in the afternoon at all. And and I think that's because, you know, I, I meet my sleep need. So most adults for the most part, shouldn't feel sleepy during the day. If in fact they're, they're meeting their sleep need, uh, during, during the night. So I think that's a really good marker, um, as all right, am I, you know, actually getting the sleep that I need, um, and, and not, and not having to use caffeine, for example, to kind of keep myself awake. Um, so, and then I would say, you know, in terms of temperature levels, we start to rise again in the, um, in kind of the later afternoon. So for most folks, like kind of that 4 PM is like the sweet spot for exercise. Um, so that, you know, if, again, if you have the ability to kind of really align there, um, you know, four o'clock is going to be when we're most primed to, uh, to adapt to, uh, to training stimulus. And this is more, um, from kind of a higher intensity type of training and power. So lifting, um, and it doesn't seem the research, uh, for endurance, kind of aerobic type of stimulus. It seems that you can do that any time of the day. There isn't really a, a kind of a preference, uh, in terms of adaptation, um, in terms of timing. So, 
Um, yeah. So I think if, if we're, you know, if we're doing a, a weight session, high intensity, um, that's going to be better in the afternoon. Endurance seems to be, you can do it whenever. Awesome. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I like that you mentioned that cognitively in the morning, many of us tend to be fresh. Um, yep. And that's something that I've been working on a little bit too, is I used to be kind of hard on myself with like training in the morning. Cause it was yeah. just like, all right, get, get in the gym in the morning, get yeah, after it. Yeah. Like, but when I devote an hour or two in the morning, that normally would be in the gym to creativity, to Mm. preparing something, to prepping a podcast, like the things that take mental energy. I'm so much more effective. And, um, now I'm getting my workouts in a little bit later. And Mm -hmm. when you first start it, you know, you feel a little bit sluggish, but yeah, it's like, what's the most important thing cognitively that you need to do and maybe try to do that earlier in the day. Um, so this is great. Exact. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Kristen, so much of this has like, validated, you know, my anecdotal data. So this is great. Um, and I want to wrap things up here with just asking you one final question that all Mm -hmm. my guests get on the podcast. Um, this podcast, the goal set mindset podcast is Mm -hmm. centered around setting goals and achieving them with the principles of passion, perseverance, and performance. Mm -hmm. So I would like to know from you, what's a personal goal that you have right now and how are you working towards it? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, I I guess at a high level, like, um, I don't, I don't have like specific goals. I I kind of think about it from the standpoint of, I want to live my values. So I really tap into, uh, two kind of core values. I suppose I'll share is, you know, is one is growth. So that means, you know, intellectual, uh, you know, personal professional growth, um, and then impact is the other one. So I want to be able to impact the world positively and really, you know, folks I interact with. Um, so those kind of two are, are kind of the two pillars that basically all, all my behaviors need to kind of live up to. Um, so in terms of growth, you know, I'm finishing a PhD, you know, so I suppose that's kind of a goal, but it's really about, this is a thing that I can do that helps me live my values. And, and so it's kind of how I frame it. Um, you know, I want to make sure my children feel loved and safe. You know, that is really important to me. Um, and, you know, that really kind of t- taps into this value of, um, you know, of just being loving and, and kind. And um, so I, I guess I think about it more from, all right, what are the values? What are my core values? Um, and really kind of writing out what those actually look like in action. And then just ensuring that my behaviors over the course of a week and, uh, you know, a, you know, a course of a day, a week, a month, um, actually drive toward being able to live those values. And then as a result, you know, these kind of goals kind of end up materializing, you know, in, in time, but, um, yeah, I don't think about outcomes necessarily. Like I think about living my values. That's awesome. I love that. And your values are, um, really special. And I can tell you 100% that you are creating a tremendous impact and I can't wait to see whoop continue to grow. Um, for anybody who's interested in whoop more specifically, my boyfriend and I actually recorded a podcast together doing our one year reflection on whoop and we, no had, way. Oh my gosh, we, had, to listen to that. <laughs> we had an absolute blast just talking about, you know, things that we didn't expect that we learned about and just why we love it so much. And, um, I'm promoting it to anybody who's willing to listen. So <laughs> Kristen, thank you. Thank you so much for everything that you're doing, for everything you're putting out, um, for taking the time to come on the podcast. I would love if you can just share um, any ways that listeners can connect with you, follow your work and um, find out more about Whoop. Yep. So um, I definitely post a lot on LinkedIn um, and just Kristen Holmes. uh, There's also a CNN correspondent named Kristen Holmes. So 
she'll come up first surely. And then, um, and then I'll, I'll be somewhere down the, down the line, but VP of performance science. And then, um, and then I, I just joined Instagram a couple of years ago. And so I'm, I'm kind of, I'm like, I'll, I'll go kind of hot where I like post a lot and then I don't post for a little while, but I definitely like all of our research, like all of our insights, you know, anything that I come across that's, you know, impacting the human system, um, at an individual level and organizational level, like I share. Um, so that is definitely a good place. I'm just looking at my, like what my handle is. Um, it's Kristen underscore Holmes, 2126. Um, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. I'll, I'll put those links in the description of the episode, as well as the website to whoop, um, for people to check out and, Kristen, thank you so much. This was one of my favorite conversations yet. I've been excited for this one since I started dreaming about having a podcast. So this was really great. And um, I look forward to just, you know, continuing to connect and learn from you. Yeah. Well, thank you for all your good work and and putting all these uh, ideas and concepts out into the world and spreading, spreading the good word. So thank you for your work. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Goal Set Mindset Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love if you shared it with somebody who would find the information helpful. Kristen and all of the work that she is doing is tremendously impacting the way that I have viewed human performance and especially have thought about circadian rhythm. I would also appreciate if you went over to iTunes or Spotify and reviewed this podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, we will be back next week with another episode.